And if you're under 25 years old, yes, that is what the graphics of the 80s looked like. So, uh, yeah, the next summer when I watched Jaws on cable, actually it wasn't cable, it was over the air, we were at a cabin, and my parents said, you probably shouldn't watch that. I didn't, of course, listen to them because I'd been on that ride with that fake shark, fake blood, and fake uh, fishing man, and I knew that it wasn't real. So I did watch it, and yet somehow I couldn't make my brain believe that there were no great white sharks in Lake Bemidji. In fact, I screamed and cried every time I wiped out water skiing. And mom, if you're watching, did you and dad actually hear the neighbors call 911 that one time when I screamed immensely? I think I eventually did get over that fear of sharks being in lakes in Minnesota, uh, like five or six years later, but uh, a few years ago, I was doing a half iron distance triathlon where you have to swim over a mile in the water. And a quarter of a mile into that race, I started to hyperventilate, had to turn over on my back, and I thought I was going to have to be pulled out of the water. Now, I don't know if it was just the claustrophobia of the wetsuit and the hat or not being able to see in the water or if that irrational fear of sharks in lakes somehow came back into my life. So how about you? What are you afraid of these days? The ancients always saw the oceans or the seas as evil. These huge mysterious waters symbolized all that was dark and chaotic, unable to be controlled. This is day five in the days of creation. It's not just the first days of creation, but it's one of the ways that we experience new beginnings. Just like Easter shows us that new beginnings are still possible and still happening, and they often arise out of the darkness and the chaos and the uncertainty around us. So too, the days that we're living in could be a new beginning. And yet, on day five, we realize there's always someone or something that wants to prevent us from walking into that new beginning. See, on day five, we find this Hebrew word that gets translated as whales or creatures, maybe is in your Bible, but the word is actually the word tanin. You can say it with me. It's a fun word to say, tanin. It's actually gadol, tanin. Gadol meaning great or huge, and tanin meaning serpent, dragon, or sea monster. In the book of Job, Job uh, chapter 7, it says that tanin is a monster of the deep, and in Isaiah and Psalms, Tanin can only be destroyed by Yahweh. Psalm 51.9 says, Was it not you who cut Rahab, the proud one, to pieces, who pierced that monster through? And in Psalm 74, it says, It was you, God, who split open the sea by your power, who broke the heads of the monster in the waters. See, these monsters were believed to inhabit all that was dark, and chaotic of the waters, the tovu vavohu that we talked about in day one. Tanin is described in the Bible as something that makes us tremble with fear. So yesterday I did this encouragement video for you to draw a monster. You can go look on my Facebook page and Christine and I talked and she's going to take any submissions of create drawings of monsters for her weekly contest. So if you want to join in, you can. But we also realize that 
the monsters that we face in life are not always fiction or part of our distant past. The number one 911 call during this pandemic has been domestic violence. And I don't know if domestic violence is always the number one call, but I do know that it has skyrocketed during this pandemic. The number two 911 call is suicidal thoughts or even attempts. And just recently, I watched the movie called Just Mercy. It's about the life and work of Brian Stevenson, an African-American man from Delaware who went to Harvard Law, graduated, and then moved to the Deep South to start the Equal Justice Initiative in like 1989 or 1990 and advocate for men on death row. Not the most popular place to do that, but it exposed a whole different kind of monster. Now, sometimes monsters are big or obvious like bullies or addictions or injustice, but sometimes they're sneaky and silent, like insecurity, shame, or just this nagging sense of self-loathing that keeps you and I from doing what God has created us to be and to do. So how do we overcome these monsters? How do we face them? Well, to that, we've got to turn to one of my favorite stories of the Bible, the story of David. In his life, we see the highest highs and the lowest lows. And before David was King David, he was teenage David. And when he was teen David, he took care of the family's sheep. We first meet David when Samuel the prophet is much older and wiser than when we met him as a boy last week. He's one of the few people that hear from God in that time. But he hears from God that God has mourned the first king, King Saul, and is over that. And now Samuel needs to get over that and go anoint the next king. And so Samuel listens and goes to the little town of Bethlehem because one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed as the next king. So Jesse brings seven of his sons to this little ceremony that Samuel's having. Remember, seven in the Bible means complete. So Samuel thinks he's brought a complete number of sons to this ceremony, that surely God is going to pick one of these sons. In fact, Jesse and Samuel believe it's going to be one of the first three sons because those are the only sons that are named in the story. Samuel thinks surely God has chosen this one, but no, he hasn't. In fact, the message translation get, captures this perfectly. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 10, it says that Samuel presented his seven sons to Jesse. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Do you have no more sons? Now think about that. Are these all the sons you have? Because of all the ones I've seen, God didn't choose any of them. And Jesse says, well, yes, there's the runt, but he's out tending the sheep. Of all the things that Samuel could say and that Jesse could say, do you see what the Bible's saying by what it's not saying? David doesn't count. He literally didn't get included. He's insignificant. His father doesn't even use his name. Well, there's the runt, Nobody, including his father, even sees that David is not in the group. 
Now, I think the message translation chose runt because in Hebrew, the word is katan, and that word means young, small or insignificant or unimportant. So David, in this moment, the runt is anointed as the next king. And we don't know how many days or weeks or months or, or, or probably years pass between this moment and the next. But what we do know is that David went back to tending the sheep of his father. And then sometimes he would go and he would play the harp for the current king who also doesn't know his name. And now maybe in David's time, the harp was an incredibly masculine instrument. But I don't think so. So anyway, so David is doing this sheep thing and this singer music thing for the king, and David's three oldest brothers joined Saul's army. Now Saul, the king, needed an army because God's people were living in the promised land, this place called Canaan, and they were expanding to the west because to the east was a desert. So, But these people that lived in the west were these annoying people called the Philistines. They were growing, expanding, and they were going to the east because what was to the west, that was the the Mediterranean Sea. So in this place between the ocean and the mountains, there was this in-between place where the tensions were high and these two armies were meeting because whoever controlled that place could expand. And it says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 3, the Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites on another, with a valley between them. We find out in the story that the valley is called the valley of Allah, meaning the valley of fear. And one day, David's father sends his youngest son to check on his brothers, to bring them food and to see to their shalom. He, in the story, it says that he brings 10 pieces of bread or 10 loaves of bread and 10 cheese. 10 is a very significant number in the Bible. It's like this number to choose or not choose sacred community. It means it's a whole different level of completeness. There were 10 commandments. God said 10 times in creation. God, um, the, God's people complained and grumbled 10 times in the wilderness. And then God said, fine, you're staying here for 40 years. So, David is bringing this significant number to see to the shalom of his brothers and this army. And when he does, he hears this giant monster, this Tanin, marching out and taunting Israel's army. It says for 40 days and 40 nights, these two uh, armies were camped on either side. And every morning, this Philistine champion, this giant warrior named Goliath would strut in front of the Israelite army. He would bellow out this challenge to anyone in Saul's army. Why should we have our armies fight each other? Wouldn't it save more lives if just you picked one person and then they would fight me? And if they win, we'll be your slaves. And if you win, or if we win, you'll be our slaves. And so that was the challenge. And David hears this and he's talking to some soldiers and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David can see something that no one else can see. Now, we often read this story as a boy versus a bully. But I want to offer that in this story and in our lives, there are many, many more monsters. The first that we see is David's oldest brother, When David's oldest brother Eliab hears David speaking with the men, he burned with anger and said, Why have you come down here? 
With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've only come down to watch the battle. See, you can bet it's a monster in your life if it tries to silence you. That's what monsters want to do. They want to silence us. His brother questions his motives. Why have you come down here? Belittles his job. With whom did you leave those few sheep? And then criticizes him to the core. I know about your pride and deceit. See, why is it that the monster's voice can come from the people that are supposed to be the closest to us? See, this internal monster makes us question if what God sees in us is actually true. Is David the king or is he the katan? Is he the runt? Is he a soldier or is he just a shepherd and a singer? See, monsters will trick you into believing those lies. They want to silence you and keep you from living as the person God already sees and says you are. We don't know how much those brothers' words stung. We just know that David didn't give up. He then goes and talks to the king, and then hears the monster's voice again. In verse 32, it says, David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. It's like David saying, master, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. But Saul answers, David, you can't go and fight. You're not you're too young and inexperienced. This man has been a warrior since his youth. He's been fighting since before you were born. See, the monster's next point of attack is shame. Monsters try to shame us. You don't have what it takes. You're too young. You don't have enough experience. You are not enough. Have you ever heard this monster? Now, David doesn't listen to Saul's words. In fact, he convinces Saul that that God has prepared him for this moment, that the God who protected him as a shepherd when he went and fought the lion and the bear and and protected his sheep from predators, this, this God would protect him from this monster. In fact, Saul agreed. Well, sort of. He dressed David in his own battle armor, strapped on his helmet and his sword and sent him out to face Goliath. And battle armor, you know, it does keep you from getting killed, but it's heavy and it's hard. And some of you know, you never take your battle armor off. In fact, you wonder if anyone knows the person underneath your battle armor because you're so afraid of getting hurt again. Ironically, battle armor is all about keeping you from getting killed. And then we start to think that that's the story. Just don't get killed. Just don't be bold. Just don't take risks. Just don't step out in faith. Just don't get hurt. And suddenly we don't realize how we're living. That's what Saul's doing. That's what all the soldiers are doing. Every morning and every night, they put on the battle armor. They walk down to the edge of this valley. They walk to the edge of their life and they shout and they wait and then they go back and they do it again the next day. They live in fear. They are filled with fear. They might even be worshiping 
fear. You know, as I think about how it connects to this moment, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be smart in this pandemic. I'm not saying we shouldn't be data informed about what this virus can do, but we don't have to worship fear. We don't have to be filled with fear. We can take the battle armor off. In fact, David had to do just that. He had to decide, am I going to be someone else? Am I going to use someone else's strategy? Or am I going to be my true self? Am I going to grab my shepherd's stick because that's who I am in my sling? Or am I going to use someone else's sword? Am I going to be the person that God loves and the person God sees? And he rejects the armor. He rejects the temptation to protect himself. How do you protect yourself? What's your armor? See, some people use sarcasm to keep people at an arm's length from knowing the real you. Others use busyness to always appear like they can't help someone else or, you know, ask, have someone ask how they really are. Some use false humility. Others are always the helper and never the one who needs help. All kinds of battle armor. See, David teaches us the big lesson about facing your monsters. You can't wear other people's armor. In fact, you can't wear any armor. You have to go face the monster, vulnerable and unprotected, naked and unashamed, like Adam and Eve in the first promised land, the Garden of Eden. And so David does just that. He strips off the battle armor. He goes as his true self and he runs out to face the monster. And this time, the monster is a physical, external monster. It's Goliath. And it's this monster that doesn't just want to silence him or shame him. It wants to scare him. That's what monsters ultimately want to do to us. They want to scare us from believing that God is with us and that God will help us. Goliath is this picture of terrifying size and strength. He is a tanin. It says in verses 5 through 7 that he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was dressed in 126 pounds of armor. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword and his spear felt like it was a fence rail. The tip alone weighed 15 pounds and he even had a shield bearer walk in front of him. Now, it's very possible that the writer means that literally Goliath is covered in bronze protection. But the word bronze can also be translated lust, harlotry, or idolatry. Think about that. Our monsters are always covered in idols. They have lies and false gods that make them feel powerful and important. And they try to scare us where we're at from actually facing them. They want to intimidate us so we walk away from any showdown. But again, David sees something that we need to see, that this isn't about facing this monster. This is about a monster who's defying God and defying God's armies. And so David needs to stand up for God's honor and God's people. See, David is most comfortable protecting the sheep. And there is a whole group of people, this whole group of soldiers who is his shepherd flock. 
and he needs to protect them. Because the boy who defends sheep could see that the God who protects people is with him. And he needed to show God's people a way through the fear. Listen to what he says to that bully Goliath. He said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And all those who gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. See, David trusts that swords and spears don't win fights. God does. David believes that facing the monster will help everyone to know that God is real. He doesn't need armor to do it. He doesn't need other people's weapons to do it. He needs to believe that God is with him and that God will help him. In Psalm 121, David writes this, I look up to the mountains and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. David writes later in his life in Psalm 23 that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. See, David knows, again, the way you defeat monsters is to have the God who creates everything help you. He knows that his help and his strength and his success comes from God, the one who rescues, the one who will make him strong. So whenever you have to face a monster, whether it's an external monster or an internal monster, know that the God who creates the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, the one who makes you strong, the one who rescues you, the one who inhabits the dark tovu vavohu uncertainty is with you. You've got to name that monster. Is it a fear of failure? Is it unemployment? Is it uncertainty in the future ahead? Name the monster and then ask God what you need to know that he's with you. What are the verses that you go to? Who are the encouraging people that you run to that you just need that pep talk from? You know that it's not going to be a pep talk that brings you through. It's going to be the strength and grace of the Lord Almighty, the one who came in Christ, who rose from the dead. That is the God who's with you. So whatever you need to do, will you run to the one who will help you? And we take that monster down not just for you, but so that all will know there is a God in heaven who created you and loves you and wants to be with you. Amen. Lord God, as we think about who you are and what you've done, may it not just be a distant story. May it not just be what some people could consider a fairy tale, this boy against this giant. But God, help us to understand that there are monsters that you create to remind us how powerful you are, that you can control. But remind us that we can't do it on our own. We need you, your presence and your power. We need to be dependent adults, full of strong minds and strong bodies and strong spirits that will protect others 
who will show others your honor, your name, and your people. God, where, whatever monster we're facing today, we pray that, that we would hear these words and that we'd know that you are with us, that you love us, and you want to empower us for your good and your glory. Amen.